Hello and welcome to Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. Each week, you'll join Messiah's Upper Room Bible Study Class led by Pastor Jim Oddy. This week, we are continuing our series over the Ten Commandments, titled Foundational Truth for a Confused World. Enjoy. So we're continuing our conversations about the, uh, about the Fourth Commandment. And just as a little refresher, why don't we read that again? It's at the top of the page there. It says, honor your father and your mother, that it may be well with you, and you may live long on the earth. It is kind of interesting to me that this is the version that comes out of our catechism. But do you remember the original version that we looked at last week in Exodus? It doesn't say that you may live long on the earth, but it says you may live long in the land that the Lord your God has given you. So it's kind of interesting that the, the context originally was that this was given to the Israelite people and they were about to go inherit the land, the promised land that God had, uh, had given to them. But, uh, but then now it's been expanded out to living long on the earth. Okay, so last week what we did was we talked some about what it means to honor. And I think that was the main focus of our, uh, of our conversation. Does anybody remember what the word honor meant or means? And there may be some words that we use today that are synonyms of that. So what, what is honor? Hold and esteem is one, one way to describe honor. Okay, what else? Pardon? Respect. <laughs> to show respect for, right? And whatever the form of respecting is, um, that would be a, a good example of, uh, of honor. Do you remember the quote that we had from, uh, from Martin Luther in terms of what his definition of honor was or what in it was included in that? Was the idea of finding the majesty that is hidden in that person. Remember that? And that really jumped off the page for, uh, for a lot of us because the idea of, uh, it sort of asks the question, what, would that, what difference would that make in your perspective of people in authority? And, and now we're talking about not just parents, but that extends out to authority in, uh, in our world and certainly in, in, our, in our relationships. But what difference would that make? If you took that perspective that said to yourself, there is a hidden majesty or there's a majesty that's hidden in the people that are in authority over you. And part of the job of that each of us has is to find that, to, uh, to actually look for that. What would be the difference that would make? How would you look at if you were a student in class and you took the view that that toward your teacher or to your school administrators, that there is a majesty in them. And part of my job as a student is not just to learn from that, from that person, but also to find that majesty and to honor it. What, uh, what difference would that make if you were a, uh, a citizen at, who's going to vote on Tuesday and you were thinking in terms of basically we're voting for people who will lead us, people who will represent us, right? And re irrespective of where you stand politically, okay, ir irrespective of, of which way you lean and which way you go, that whomever then does get elected, you would say to yourself, 
there is a majesty there. And part of my job as a citizen is to, to find that majesty hidden in that person. I'm just sort of maybe thinking out loud a little bit here, but what, would that, what difference would that make then in terms of how each day went for you? What do you think? Yeah, nobody's going to take me up on that. I can see that right here. All right. So again, oh yeah. Okay. So it's just, see, it's, it, it's, a, it's a matter of perspective is kind of what I'm trying to get you to think about is that I think that to a large degree, we have a lot of control over our own perspective. There's a whole lot else in, in life that you can't control. But what you can control is how you look at things. And then in what way does how you look at things affect the attitude that you take toward things that go on around you? I guess I'm a kind of a believer in our ability to do that. Yeah. When I think of respect, I think that's something that is earned and the person doing the respecting has confidence. And when you have confidence in the person who you're respecting, yes. then you act in a favorable way towards support and in that relationship and being here because you want to learn more. Yes. But what if that person acts in a disrespectful way? Well, you don't respect it in the office that they have. Do we still owe them respect even if they don't act in a respectful way? I would argue yes. It's harder. Oh, it's way harder. Okay. Now, you may not trust them. That's a different issue. But respect, and you may not like them, and that's a different issue, right? But, but you can learn from each other. And people who you might not respect can, when you're with them, you can, some, you can even see that change taking place yeah. the more they're with people who are different than they were. That's correct. Part of it is I've got to open myself up to that, and that's the tough thing, yeah. I think you can respect what someone does without respecting them. So it's some sense, uh, maybe, and maybe we say it this way, is we respect the office even if the holder of the office is not, is not respecting the office himself or herself. That's a very good possibility. Yes, Kathy. I think today they're celebrating Veterans Day, and when I get, I get agitated. If you get agitated? I get agitated okay. sometimes politically, which yes. Um, I just remember back to those people who serve, yeah. and they, they have to keep their mouth shut. It's mm -hmm. not their job to right. rattle on about politics. It's right. their job to serve. Mm -hmm. So we need to remember that yeah. and have that witness that says, and I'll say to people, sure. you know what, I go back to my military days, I don't have an opinion, we, he's, he's there. Just yeah. We have to do, and I, yeah. I wouldn't because I would expect. Mm -hmm. I don't think that think that's right for our soldiers to have to respect and mm -hmm. do their jobs, and everybody else is acting like idiots. Well, acting like idiots, there's, you know, <laughs> I don't know that that's changed since the Garden of Eden. Frankly, you know, geez, yeah, yeah, Richard. I guess I, you were mentioning respect. Yeah. And I think the thing that strikes me is that when I was in the classroom, the, the students that behaved in the poorest manner, it was my observation, they did not even respect themselves. Sure. So I look at it as to respect myself, mm -hmm. I need to act in a respectful and humble manner, mm -hmm. no matter how big 
a jerk or idiot or whatever. The other person is. Mm -hmm. And even if my actions never change that person, God will still say, okay, you did good. Yeah, because at the end of the day, at least from a faith perspective, we serve something greater. It's not just that we serve ourselves or the immediate uh, temporal authority that we have, right? At the end of the day, the, the greater service that we offer based on the service that's been given to us by, by God is that that extends in that greater way. And when you think of it that way, I think that has the potential of carrying you through the moments when the human authorities in our lives let us down. And whether we're talking about parents or we're talking about whoever you elect or we're talking about the policeman that stops you on the road and you were only going 61 and everybody else is going 71 and you're thinking, why didn't he stop that guy, All right? It's just, it's that sort of stuff that when the human side of things disappoints us, then how do, we, how do we keep a higher, how do we take that higher ground still? How do you still do what is the right thing? Well, because the one that we serve ultimately is God. Make sense? Okay, good. All right, any other thoughts? Okay, we'll try to get to our lesson for today. That'd be really excellent, all right? <laughs> so honoring, so last week, the three things we talked about was honoring your parents sets the foundational pattern for honoring others in authority, all right? So that's the idea of the fourth commandment. That's why it starts out with honor your father and mother. It's not limited to that, but that's where it starts out. So when honor is taking place in the home, then what happens is that then there is a, a learning that takes place, if you will. The, the value of that is, uh, is sort of set in the heart and in the mind, okay? Secondly, how parents treat people in authority including talking about them at home or in public, teaches their children how to do it. You know, that's something maybe we don't think nearly enough about, is if you have little knee biters in your life, they're listening to every single thing you do and say, including the attitude you have toward other things. And we don't often think about it from that perspective. We think, oh, we're adults and we're talking to each other about, you know, whatever. What the latest frustration is at work or what the latest issue is on TV or what the sermon was like on Sunday morning after church. All right, whatever it is. See, you, you, have, you have ears listening to you. And if ears are picking up a tone of disdain or a tone of contempt or a tone that is maybe just a little bit edgy. Yes, you could say, well, it's a free country and I can say what I want. Well, yes, you can. But if somebody else is listening, who maybe isn't yet of an age where they can discern, okay, then maybe they're picking up some stuff from you in terms of what honor looks like and what respect sounds like. Okay, does that make sense? And so that's uh, maybe something, again, to, uh, to sort of think about that. And then uh, I love this one. This was also from uh, Luther. Parents are to be honored no matter how strange they are. <laughs> Remember that? That was in that Luther quote as well. That no matter, he said, you know, no matter how lowly and how poor and, you know, whatever it is that they are, um, but uh, uh, no matter how strange they are. 
So any of you who had strange parents or any of you who have ever been uh, categorized by your own children as strange, well, guess what? The fourth commandment is still, uh, is still in, 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 uh, in vogue here. Okay? All right? We're good so far? All right, so one of the things that I challenge you to think about over the, over the week from last week was to give some thought to some of the other forms of authority that are in our lives and uh, to sort of see how you, how you feel about those being included in the realms here that are home and workplace and school and government and church. So we kind of talk a little bit, bit about this. We can have a little fun with that. How many of you uh, are part of or subject to a homeowner's association? Say, whoa, that's a lot. I'm sure that's testing your Christianity every day, huh? <laughs> yeah, because, you know, it, it, it's one of those things I think that whoever came up with the original idea of having that thought it would be a good thing, right? And then, but I hear more important, I'm not, we're not in one, so easy for me to say, right? But what's the, uh, what's the, what's the challenge in giving honor and respect to an authority such as that? What's the challenge of that? You want to raise your rate. <laughs> Simple, it costs more, all right. Okay, and so then, what do you get for that? Well, we still hopefully get the same services that they provide. Okay, and a, uh, an example of a service that a HOA provides is what? Maintenance. Maintenance? Of the property. Yeah. Oh, okay. That we're, right. we're, we're in a townhome community. Okay. So that's, and does it form a kind of protection? Like if somebody moves an RV in and parks it right in the driveway, is that kind of what it's supposed to do too, to keep that from happening? Is that the idea of it? Yeah. Okay. Most of the, most of the comments that I hear about HOAs are mostly negative. It feels like that, you know, you want to plant a certain plant or you want to get a color of your roof or something. And then somebody gives you a hard time about that. So anyway, that's kind of an interesting thing. Your weeds are getting too tall, right? All right. What about school boards? School boards? Yeah. Hand up? Yes? Is that a yes or do you want to say something? Yeah, okay. Again, it's a, it's a form of authority. People have been elected and or appointed to do a job. And, you know, frankly, that may be one of the hardest jobs there is. Okay, ICE. You familiar with ICE? We hear a lot about that today. Some people say do away with it. Some people say keep it. So it's a very kind of controversial, but probably necessary, some form of that. In-laws. What about in-laws? This would be the parents of your spouse. How do you honor and respect the parents of your spouse? <laughs> what? What? Okay. We have comments right here on this corner of the table. Yes. You have to say it now. Carefully. Oh, carefully. Yeah. All right, respectfully, right? Respectfully. What if they don't like you? Ooh, harder, right? Harder, yeah. And you may have given them reason not to like you. That's very possible because you married their son or daughter. That's right, yeah. What, somebody over here? Yeah? Try to be nice. Try to be nice, yeah. I mean, um, and we're going to talk a little bit about this, is... How do, how do you do the fourth commandment once you're an adult? 
See, it's kind of, in some ways, it's, it's written for children and adults, children and parents, particularly with, with respect to obedience. Okay, obey your, your parents, all right? But what happens when you become adult? Is there a way to do the fourth commandment, and yet obedience isn't really the thing, but honor and respect is? Okay, so we'll talk about that. Yeah, Mary Jo. Uh, well, actually, you have your hand written up. We may talk about it now. So, yeah. We, uh, I was at a Bible class at my sister's church, and they were discussing that. Pastor said, when you're an adult and you move out of your parents' home, you no longer have to obey them. You need to respect them. Okay, so she said that she heard that when you move out of your parents' home, you no longer have to obey them, but you do have to respect them. Okay, so that's kind of interesting because there was a day and age when kids moved out of their parents' home. <laughs> and then they moved back. What? Is this, is this a surprise to you? Do you know what the percentage is of recent college graduates who moved back in? It's higher than 60%. Yeah, now they don't stay forever. In some cases, they do, however. Yeah, it's a high percentage. It's a high percentage. Now, there are reasons for it, okay? Now, there's reasons for it, okay? Some of it is kids go to school and rack up huge debts. It's the educational debt. And then when they get out of school, they find jobs that pay them 30 grand a year. Well, you can't, if you're paying off that debt, you're not ever going to be able to do that. So there's, a, there's some reasons for that. I mean, it's not just all failure to launch. Okay, though there is some of that as well. Okay, so there's different reasons for it. But it still raises the question, and I see this a lot in, my, uh, in, in the counseling world that I'm a part of, is where what happens when a, uh, a kid is used to being on his own and coming and going as he wants and doing whatever he wants whenever he wants to do it and then moves back home and now has to recalibrate all of that. And then the parents who for four years got used to having the empty nest and enjoying the fact that you don't have this like kid running around, well now send that kid's back. And so there's like this, this big collision and oftentimes there's a major collision and some bloodletting that occurs uh, with that, all right? So navigating that, negotiating that is kind of part of the deal. How do you do that? Yeah. Uh, I saw on TV news that, yeah, with the adult child and the parent coming at odds, like you were just saying, yeah. that a big trend is for though the parent and the child to seek out a mediator. Yes. Yeah, yeah not necessarily a counselor. No, I do a lot of refereeing of those kinds of things. That's a... That I put on a striped shirt, you know, and it, but no, but that's, that's what that is. They come up with a contract and, and money is involved and kind of paying rent and, you know, you're not just going to live here for free. And there's some of that stuff too. So that's part of making the transition to real life adulthood. And that's, that's a good thing to do. That's a good way to do it. But it still creates some tension there, again, because of the fact that the, the expectation we probably all have is when that kid reaches a certain age, he's gone. Now, not from your life, but just out of your life in that sense, not living anymore with you. And so that's just the challenge that uh, goes with that. Okay. What about speed traps and red light cameras? Do you, is that, are, does Plano still have those, or did they say, we're not going to do that anymore? Plano Parkway and Jupiter. 
Plano Parkway and Jupiter, so there's actually some still. Yeah, some communities have said this was just a money grab, so, you know, we're getting rid of it. Um, and so that's another one. Okay, what about Little League or Major League umpires? Can you yell at the ump and still respect and honor him? That's what I want to know. Can you do that? <laughs> now, Little League, I'm okay because it's all volunteer and, you know, everybody's trying to teach good sportsmanship. But when they reach that major league level, that's what I want to know. Yeah. And if you'll let me know, then I'm going to let Pastor Welmer know because he's way worse at heckling than I am. And, uh, yeah. The thing about it is if you do that, then any children around you are listening. You're not showing adequate respect and you're showing that kind of attitude to language. You need to tell Pastor Welmer that. That's what you need to do. Yeah, do what? No, I'm just have him sit next to Pastor Wilmer at, at a baseball. I'm going to have him do that. I think that would be an excellent moment for him. Yes, it would. Yeah. I have to tell you, uh, Pastor Wilmer and uh, Pastor Coleman and I, we occasionally go to a Ranger game. And the very first time we ever did this, I did not know that Pastor Wilmer considers heckling a part of the fun of going <laughs> to a Ranger game or to any baseball game for that matter. And so I, was, I handled it that first game that we went to. <laughs> the second, before we went to the second game, I uh, made up a, uh, a one heckle free card for him. Okay. And I gave it to him and I said, okay, now here's the deal. Next time we go to a game, if you want to spend this card on this game, feel free to do that. If you don't want to do that, but you do continue to heckle, uh, the tickets I get for you will be way at the top of the, uh, of the ballpark stadium. Okay? So, uh, yeah, I just have my ways here. All right, very good. All right, so these are just some fun ways to kind of think about how do you do honor and respect beyond people that have a badge. There's still honor and respect. That's the key. Yeah. I was on a jury one time where a, uh, in a for a little league game that uh, the there was one parent that was sitting in a, in a chair and he had a screwdriver and he was tightening the screws on, on his folding chair. And he was heckling the bajabbers out of the umpire. And finally he said something to him that the umpire really took offense at uh, because he was swearing at him in front of all these kids. He came around and he said, what were you saying? And the guy got up out of the chair with, his, uh, with the screwdriver and the, uh, the umpire just swung and cold cocked him. And the, the homeowner or the uh, child's father, that he, was gonna, he filed suit against the umpire. Well, our jury took about 10 minutes to find for the umpire and he was already gone to do another game and the, um, uh, the guy, the father, you know, just sat there nonplussed that, you know, the, he, he hurt me and nobody cared. So there. So there. All right. Very good. All right. So let's, uh, let's get into a little bit more sort of background information in terms of thinking about authority and why does it exist in life and things like that. So we're at the top of, uh, top of the next page. Asking the question, what is the benefit of the existence of authority? All right. The reality is, is that the authority has always existed and people have always needed authority even when things were perfect. So it must be something about a human being that irrespective of our spiritual condition or our ability to be good, which was 
there when Adam and Eve were first created, okay, there was still in the garden an authority. And in this case, the authority was God. Okay, so that was very much of, in the truest sense of the word, a theocracy. That God was the one who was running the government in the Garden of Eden, right? And in the Garden of Eden, he asserted his authority by setting a boundary. And the boundary was what? Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, all right? A lot of people have sort of postulated, what does that mean, knowledge of good and evil? Is it a cognitive knowledge of good and evil? Is it, a, is it more of an embracing of whatever good and evil would, would do for you and in, in the way it might control you, whatever it might be? But the point is, is that God put that boundary in place and, the author- and set the, himself as the authority for their good, Now, that's the hard thing, because how many of us would like to say, are willing to say, in the moment when we crunch up against some rule, or crunch up against some some restriction on our freedom, that we are willing to acknowledge that 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 boundary is there for our good? You ever think about that? At the moment when you smash your face into it? Now, most of us would say, that boundary or that rule restricts me. It gets in my way. It's, re- it's holding back on what I think is best for my life. And see, that's what happened to Adam and Eve. They had the pick of everything. And we think, gosh, you know, wasn't that enough? Wasn't that good enough? And apparently it wasn't because the one thing that God said don't go to is, of course, the one that they went to. That would never happen to you and me. We would never actually do that if we had been there, right? But then what happens is after the fall, after the fall, then what happens is now God establishes authority in the world because of the chaos that sin creates. See, now it's not just that he put those boundaries in place for our good in some sense, but it's also to put a curb and a restraint around evil. And that was the thing you see that happened with, uh, uh, with sin coming into the world. Now with sin present, and we're not just talking about sin in the behavioral sense, but we're talking about sin as a power within us, a condition of sin, right? Is that now the impulse of sin is that I'm going to do what I think is to my advantage. In other words, if I think it's good for me, I'm going to pursue it If I think it's evil for me, I'm going to avoid it. And that's one way of looking at the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. If it's good for me, if it's to my advantage, I'm going after it. Well, what if it's good for me and bad for you? What if it's good for me, but you have to pay the price? What if it's to my advantage and to your disadvantage? In my sinfulness, I don't give a rip. Because in my sinfulness... The only thing I care about is what? Me. And so see, how do you keep the world from descending into chaos if everybody and his brother is living uh, with that maxim? You have authority. That's what you do. You have authority. Now, what sometimes makes it hard is that the same people who are sinfully driven are also the same people who are in authority. And that's sometimes the hard thing, isn't it? That's the hard thing. Yes, somebody, oh yeah, Clint. Was that the first bite of sin? I mean, you know, was, was that what released the devil 
Well, the devil was already there. Yeah, he was sort of saying, yeah, you know, you think it really something bad will happen? Do you really think that? I mean, that's, he was tempted. He was already there. But the sinful condition, if you will, was not yet present because at, that had to reside in somebody. So when they took the bite, then it's like that became a part of that. That was when they wanted to take over authority. Yeah. I mean, when you think of it from that perspective, that was the battle. Who's going to be in authority, God or me, right? Yeah. And so that's a good point. Yeah, very good. Okay, any other thoughts on that so far? Yeah. My dad always said, until you graduate, I'm responsible for you. And I thought, well, that's good, you know. Yeah. Well, then I graduated. Yeah. And I needed some money. Then you needed he some said, money? Yeah. Yeah. And he said, Look, you forgot our arrangement. <laughs> and you like it. Yeah. So what did you have to do when you, did you have to leave home when you graduated? Yes. Yeah. And go. But I had work. a job. But I had to have some. I had some dental work done. And yeah. I just assumed because I was still in school at that time, you paid for it. Yeah. Well, that's a good assumption, don't <laughs> yeah. you think? And yeah. Said, you know, you're forgetting something. Yeah. So I had to get a money order from where I work and send it to the dentist. Yeah. And so, there, to some degree, you know, when you think about it from that point of view, if you pay for all your dental work. How will you treat your teeth from that point on? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, doesn't it kind of make sense? I mean, doesn't that kind of make sense? You know, if, if it's, it's a little bit like when you, like, if you have ever um, had somebody give you a car, this would be a, go, another good example. Like, parents will sometimes do that. They give their kid the first car, and it's, it's an old beater, but they still do it, okay? Well, then how, much, how uh, invested Will that kid be in taking care of the car and making sure that the oil gets changed and, you know, waxing it? Now, I mean, doing all the stuff that you'd need to do to take care of a car, as opposed to what would happen if you had to buy the car yourself and you had to work to earn the money, right, to do that. It's just a little bit of a, a different perspective, isn't it, in terms of, of how, uh, how significant that is if I'm the one who, uh, who had to pay for it. So that's a, that was a great, great story. Okay. All right. So thinking in terms of then uh, our relationship to authority, and again, it, now that sin's in the world, which now that's a done deal, we all know that. So, so what's the, what, how does this work for us? Authority is God's gift for our good. It uh, maintains order and stability of life. At least that's the intent. It curbs the abuse which occurs when people only live for themselves. And then the reality of the fact that we live in a sinful world and sinful people are a part of that authority, authority can be abused. But even if it is, the point of the fourth commandment is that we don't just say, well, I got abused by that police officer or I got abused by that uh, school board or I got abused by the HOA. So that's it for me. I'm done with authority. We don't have a legitimate argument for that in terms of the fourth commandment. Does that make sense? Yeah. And that probably makes sense to, to many of us here. Okay. So respect for boundaries, which are established by authority, is first taught in the home with the words yes and no. Now, most people think that authority is taught by the word no, and that probably is one that would be familiar to us. But in what way might the word yes actually be a word that would teach someone a respect for authority, a respect for boundaries? Yeah, Richard. Yes, the, that 
you can go this much further. Yeah. You know, this, this land is okay. Yeah. 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 Yes is actually a way of defining what is, and no is the word that defines what? What is not. See? So it's sort of like, say, the, I mean, the commandments do this. Uh, when Luther put together the, uh, the meaning, the definitions of the commandments in the, in the catechism, he talked about what is it that the commandment is forbidding? That's the no, right? But then what is it that the commandments are encouraging? That's the yes. So it's a yes and a no, all right? So a few little questions here. What is your earliest memory of being told no? Yes, I know. It was such a terrible moment. You've all blocked that memory out of your mind. All right. Yeah, no. Yeah, maybe. When do, uh, when do children first hear no? When they want something they're not going to get. Yeah, yeah. Probably. Uh, when you go to touch something on the table that you're not supposed to. Yeah, so when the child wants to do something, your example is when, when the, the child is reaching for something that they're not supposed to reach, or danger, danger, you know. So this gets into the area, I think, in some ways, of children who are more compliant versus children who are more adventurous, okay? You know the difference? Yeah, we don't think of those uh, kids as being adventurous, but I'm sort of giving you that, that other uh, way of, of thinking of those kids. So just out of curiosity, just a little bit of a personality moment here. How many of you were more compliant? It's nice to see that we have a few, you know, compliance. How many of you were more adventurous? Yes, we have a few of those. It's about a two-thirds, one-third ratio here. That's a, that's, oh, I would have seen that back there. Yeah, definitely, right? Okay. Yeah, so how many of you would have been told, probably told no maybe one or two times, and that would have been enough? That you would have gotten it, and then you would have been more compliant. How many of you would have done that versus how many of you had maybe multiple times of no that would have been communicated to you? Yeah, oh, which, Jacob, which one is it? So it took like several no's before you sort of, okay, yeah, yeah. Okay, do you think that the way you were as a kid with respect to that is different than the way you are as an adult, or do you think that you're kind of still that way as an adult? What do you think? Think it's kind of that same way as an adult? Okay, yeah, all right, yeah. What about, you know, I had my moments, I was a little bit of both, uh, depending on certain things. Oh, I could see that. It was a whole lot easier to take a no if there was a little bit of an explanation that makes sense. Oh, okay. So if the person, if the adult said no, if the adult said no and then explained why, then there would be a bit more compliance on your part as long as the per what the person said as the rationale was consistent with what you thought was a logical way for it to be. Yeah, don't touch that. You'll burn your finger. Yeah. But so if someone said, because I said so, I'm thinking that probably didn't go at all over for you. That's probably right. That's probably right, and some of us are like that. My dad just said, this is it, and oops, you don't like it. Yeah, that's right, in certain l words of language differences. Uh, how do you react when someone says no? How do you react? A defeated. Defeated? Little, yeah? yeah. Little, is there a little ve uh, vengeance in there for you as well, maybe? Yeah, okay. 
Yeah. Sometimes with people that are compliant, maybe I'm the only one that's thinking of this as myself, but um, compliant and then figuring out a way to be sneaky. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. See, so their self-service is still, uh, the sinful nature is still very present at that moment, right? Okay. Uh, well, why do you think that I went to college in Austin and didn't just stay in Fort Worth and go to my parents' church and always be there? Why do you think? Compliant. Yeah. Now you know. Okay. All right. See, when, they, when Concordia Austin recruited me, they used a very sneaky way to get me to go there, right? Okay. So how, uh, how well do you handle no now as an adult? How's that work for you? What's in it for me? Okay, so there's maybe some sense of thinking that there should be some benefit to you to honor the no, right? Is that kind of maybe what it is? Okay, yeah. Again, I wonder if, if we change all that much, you know, in terms of our, our lives as kids versus lives now. Okay, foundational truth number 21. When the respect for the boundaries of authority is not learned at home, H-O-M-E, home, then people have to learn it the hard way from teachers, employers, and law enforcement. Now, that's the good news, okay? So, you know, from a parenting perspective or even from a kid perspective, learning this stuff from your parents is that because part of the deal is that sometimes love gets in the way. And the way we define love in terms of whether or not we should let somebody off the hook or whether or not we should cut them some slack and say, well, you know, I do love you and, you know, I do forgive you. And so all those kinds of things sometimes can play into the fact that we maybe aren't as consistent with boundary enforcement as we should be. True? Would any of us argue that? No, we probably would all say that. Okay. The good news is, is that if you blow it at home or you're inconsistent at home, there are many other opportunities for your child to learn when they go to school, right? And if they don't study, what would happen? Yeah, they would get a bad grade and maybe have to repeat. Okay, that would be, okay, that would be a logical thing. When they get a car and they're driving around and they think, ah, speed limit, that's for everybody else, not for me, then what would happen? Uh, what would be a learning opportunity there? They get a ticket or maybe even they get their license suspended and that would be a hassle for everybody, right? But there would be that opportunity to learn. That's the point, okay? Secondly, learning to respect boundaries teaches the difference between rights, responsibilities, and privileges. Ooh, I think there's a lot of confusion today about those. I think that there's a lot of people that are assuming that everything is a right, right? Everything's a right. And so if I have a right to it, then you can't deny it to me because it is my right. I have the right, okay? A lot of people are uh, thinking they have a right to be happy and that you should do whatever it is that you need to do to make sure I'm happy. You should dedicate your life to my being happy, right? So is being happy a right, a privilege, or a responsibility? What do you think? I don't really know. What do you think? I don't think it's a right. I don't think it's that. That doesn't seem right. So what, how would you define a responsibility? What would you say about a responsibility? How do you get them? How do you get, respon how do you get more responsibility? 
by earning it, don't you? Don't you earn responsibility? Feel like you have certain responsibilities at work, right? And at home, you have those, right? And when the more trustworthy you are in fulfilling that responsibility with a great attitude, what happens usually? You're given more responsibility. Yeah, that's kind of what happens. And then the rewards that go with that, see? But if I go into a place and I say, I have a right to this, then I'm insisting that somehow you have to give that to me without me earning it. And that's a little bit of, I think, where some of that, that annoying uh, entitlement attitude comes in, right? Is that by virtue of my name or my education or whatever it is, that somehow you owe that to me as a right when you, I haven't earned it. Yeah, somebody had their hand up. Oh, yeah. I believe that the harder you work, the luckier you get concept. And I believe that each person has a responsibility mm-hmm. to create their happiness through the very things that you were talking mm-hmm. about. Yeah. Where do privileges fit in? Where do privileges fit in? What's a privilege? It's not a right. It's kind of not a responsibility. I guess it could be. Something great. Like, think of it as a gift, maybe. Think of it that way, right? A little bit of a sense of someone being benevolent toward you in some way. Now, granted, it may be that it came to you because, in part, that you were responsible, that you uh, took ownership of something and ran with it and was successful with it, that kind of thing, or trustworthy with it, right? Um, But but, uh, we hear a lot today. It's kind of confusing to me. I I can't say that I fully understand it because I haven't really uh, studied it, and, and it came along in an era after me, okay? And that's this whole concept of white privilege versus uh, middle-class privilege and, you know, that sort of stuff. I, I, there's a lot about that in uh, conversations about discrimination, but I have to tell you, I don't understand it. I don't get it. And that just may be because um, I'm a white guy in middle age, and I just don't get it. Yeah, that's very possible. So maybe somebody can educate me at some point about that. Okay. Uh, are there limits? Let's see where we are time-wise. I think we'll get through a little bit of this, and then we'll, uh, we'll stop for next week. Okay, we're going to continue it through next week. Okay. Are there limits to honoring one's parents? And how might we practice honoring with gratitude and mercy, given the realities of, first of all, challenges in aging? Okay, we see that more and more today because people, frankly, are living longer, right? And the longer we live, then what happens is some of those things that are associated with normal aging start to catch up to us, all right? Physical, uh, mental disabilities, um, those kinds of things, memory care, et cetera. And so all of these things are blessings in the form of ways that we can care for those that whose shoulders we stood on when we were when we were little, you know, the people that we depended on in terms of uh, aging parents. But I think the key is to remember that if someone goes to live someplace that could open the door for the possibility of neglect, because the thought is, is that I'm sending my loved one there, he or she's being taken care of there. And then if I don't ever go see that person and visit that person and, and don't spend some human time with that person, um, then in, in some sense, I'm delegating the work of caring and loving that person to that institution instead of thinking in terms of still what is my responsibility, even if I was the one paying for it. 
So there still is that idea of honor and respect, even if that is the case. What about abusive parents? There's quite a bit of that in our world and has been forever. I mean, it's, this is not a new thing. Somehow we're still called to do what? To honor and respect, right? That, uh, that, that, uh, that parental authority, even if the person who is in the, in the uh, office of parent or the vocation of parent is, uh, is being abusive. And that may mean calling the police on them. That may mean calling CPS. That may mean doing those things, right? Because again, the abuse of the office is as much at stake as it is the abuse of the child or whomever it is that is being abused. Same thing with mental illness. Okay. When children become adults, this is kind of what we uh, sort of leaned on a little bit before. Can you honor your parents without obeying your parents? I don't know, Mary, what do you think? Okay. Where are your children today? We need to hear them say that you say that, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Again, it's an age kind of thing. It's too, it's also probably to some degree, if you're out from under their sort of direct care for you, not caring in the emotional way, but providing, you know, financially or, or a roof or something like that, food for you, et cetera, that kind of thing. All right. If your parents disapprove of a decision you make, how ought you to handle it as an adult? See, what do you do? Okay, you can, somebody said ignore the parents. I heard that over here, yes. <laughs> All right. Yeah, I mean, again, this, I tell you where this shows up, okay, for, uh, for adults who are, um, want to honor their parents at the same time that they're wanting to make their own life and do their own thing and make their own decisions. So here's where, where I run into this uh, a lot in terms of people talking to me is uh, when the person they want to marry is not approved of by the parents. That's one. Okay. Another one is, uh, though less pressure, is the job they want to take is one that the parents think is a bad idea. And then another one that's uh, very common today is when the lifestyle choices that the kid wants and says, this is who I am, flies in the face, not only of the, what the parents think, but also the faith that the parents raised that kid in in the first place. Those are the ones I see. Phil? Uh, I just try to have discussions with, uh, with my parents when, when they have a, uh, when I go against a decision uh, of theirs or have a, have a difference in opinion. Yeah. Uh, you still would honor them by seeking, maybe seeking their thoughts. Seeking understanding. Yeah, but it's, see, it's an adult, adult relationship now, even though it's still parental in some sense. They're your mom and your dad. They're not your mommy and daddy. And there, there is a kind of a difference there, isn't there? Now, your mommy may think differently about that, right? Yeah, right. I mean, and, and sometimes that's the shift that you have to make, is it not? As a parent, we have to make the shift from mommy, daddy to mom, dad. And that's not just playing with words. That, there's something to that, okay? So that's giving some thought to that. All right, what we're going to do is stop here because i got to go back to work, okay? And uh, we'll pick it up uh, next week with what responsibilities do parents have to children? Because it's not a one-way street, okay? 
Honor and respect goes two ways. And so we want to kind of give some thought to what that might be. All right? Very good. All right, well, let's close with prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for giving to us the wisdom of your word and the way that it speaks to us in such plain ways, such wonderful ways in this complex world that we live in today. Maybe, Lord, it's not all that complex. Maybe it's just like it was in the garden. You lay out how you want it to be and how you want it to be is really for our best. And then we think, oh, we know better. And then we're going to do it our way, not yours. And it seems like for centuries, we have yet to really figure that out. So bless us, Lord, in the ways that you teach us that what you want for our lives is really for our best. That's our best life. And, uh, and that as we follow that and as we uh, celebrate that, that each day we know that we are your beloved and that we have the opportunity to treat uh, those in authority over us uh, or those of us that are in authority. We have, uh, have an a opportunity to treat that with respect and honor. Lord, watch over us this week. Be with us. Things are kind of crazy on Tuesday, so keep everyone mindful of uh, kind of what life is about and who's in charge. And uh, we look forward to being together again next week. We pray that in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Messiah's Upper Room Podcast. If you want to join the discussion, please send us an email with your question or comment to messiahlutheranpodcast at gmail.com and we'll be happy to read it during an upcoming class. You can also go to our website at www.messiahlutheranpodcast.com where you can find links to all the previous episodes and copies of our class notes in case you want to follow along with each episode. You can also find out where to subscribe to the podcast at messiahlutheranpodcast.com slash subscribe for links on how you can find us on iTunes, Pocket Casts, Stitcher, TuneIn, or any other podcast catcher of your choice. If you feel like we have given you any value during this podcast, please consider going to our podcast page in iTunes and leaving a rating or a review. Not only will that provide us with valuable feedback that we can use to improve the podcast for you, but it will help this podcast to climb the iTunes rankings and help us spread God's message to anyone willing to listen. Once again, thank you so much for listening to this episode. And until next time, may God bless you throughout your week. Bye.